It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher-level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. The big news today comes from Speaker McCarthy. We didn't think he'd be waking up to this this morning. They talked about a big meeting on Wednesday. He might support the idea of an impeachment inquiry, but he came right out and, and announced one today. There will not be a vote. They're going for it. Yep. The impeachment inquiry, according to the Speaker, is moving forward. And I have to wonder how the timing factors in here, knowing that the Speaker knows he has 11 legislative days between now and September 30th to yep. try and get the government funded or a continuing resolution passed. And he's trying to figure out what he can do to cater to certain members of the right wing of his party yeah. to get that done and maybe appease mm-hmm. them on other issues as well. We just ran a headline on the Bloomberg. Speaker McCarthy says he has a plan <laughs> to avoid a shutdown. So let's start there with Senator Mark Warner. I'm glad to say he joins us from Capitol Hill live right now on the radio and on YouTube. Senator, it's great to see you, of course, Democrat from Virginia who chairs the Senate Intelligence Committee. We have a lot of questions for you, as always, but I have to start here. If Speaker McCarthy says he has a plan to avoid a shutdown, is it called impeachment? <laughs> well, it sure seems like it. I mean, I guess we're not, we shouldn't be totally shocked um, that Speaker McCarthy has got to once again cave to these right-wing folks. I I think about the fact I I was a CEO of a company, I was governor of a state. The idea that, uh, what is it, seven or eight of these folks in the House uh, at the far right of the Republican Party, less than 2%, maybe even less than uh, 1% or 2%, I guess, of the overall House is basically driving him into positions that are untenable. I put out the point that there was a headline in one of the Capitol Hill periodicals that said Republican leaders in the Senate basically said they didn't think this was a smart move. There was no there there. But uh, how this somehow leads to keeping the government funded, which would be, again, a, if, if we allow a shutdown, it will be a totally self-inflicted harm driven by these right-wing folks. We're going to do our job in the Senate in a bipartisan way, pass um, appropriations bills. We've already passed them all out of committee. And I just do not understand some of these members on the far right who somehow act like they're fiscal conservatives, yet they don't mind shutting down the government, even though we, the law of the land now is, you know, federal employees still get paid during a shutdown. So uh, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's one of the reasons why people scratch their head about D.C. Senator, we do want to talk about some of the specific sticking points, including funding for Ukraine. But just quickly to go back to the idea of an impeachment inquiry, are you worried how optically this plays for the Democratic Party in 2024, these investigations into Hunter Biden and inquiry in the House of Representatives? Well, we have seen inquiry after inquiry launched by the Republicans since they took over um, this year in the House. Uh, I've seen nothing that I think has gotten much public attention. Matter of fact, most of these have been big balls of nothingness. 
So I think at the end of the day, it, particularly if, if this same group of far-right Republicans lead us to a shutdown, and the thing that they're going to be focused on is impeachment rather than how do we make sure that people who need passports are going to get their passports, people who want to visit our national parks and visit our national parks, people who are federal employees, air traffic controllers, for example, do their job. I think they're playing with fire. I have to ask you about the way Democrats will handle this as well then, Senator. We heard earlier from John Fetterman, your colleague from Pennsylvania. I won't stop you down to make you listen, but he was kind of joking around. He laughed. He said, oh, no, not an impeachment, not this time. Is, is this something that Democrats should actually try to laugh off or begin preparing a war room to deal with this? Well, I think you've always got to take things seriously. I know the, the White House, well, I'm sure, um, put together a warm effort, you know, and, and there will be some in the media that will try to present some level of equivalency that somehow um, whatever they're accusing, the president or his family, or to my knowledge, they have no evidence, is somehow the equivalent of Donald Trump trying to stir up an insurrection on January 6th, an insurrection that's now led to, I think, uh, 91 different indictments against former President Trump. I'm sure people will make, try to make that false equivalency. I don't think it'll pass the smell test with most Americans. So, Senator, we know that some House Republicans do want to look at this impeachment inquiry as they're thinking about the funding battle on Capitol Hill as well. But another issue in that funding battle is on funding for Ukraine specifically. What is your message to House Republicans on that, knowing some of them would not like for it to continue? My message is... There's never been a more important time for the United States to stand with our allies. The Ukrainians are making slow but steady progress in their counteroffensive against Putin's illegal war into Ukraine. There are three common sense reasons uh, that I think uh, we ought to stay the course. One is you know, NATO was basically a tired operation. Uh, before President Biden and this conflict reinvigorated NATO that's now expanded. The idea that America would walk away from our commitment with our other NATO partners right now would be awful. Two, and this is the part that I just don't get, the very same people who say we shouldn't fund, you know, somehow we shouldn't fund Ukraine, but we're all in against President Xi and the Communist Party in China. For people that don't understand that if Putin is somehow successful in Ukraine, that gives a greater green light to President Xi in terms of his aspirations around Asia, Taiwan in particular. If you don't see that connectivity, I don't know, I don't know how better to make the case than to have that connection. And then finally, you know, on a world stage, uh, and I, I believe you know, on both Trump and Biden, the way we exited Afghanistan uh, didn't burnish our international reputation. But the idea of after what happened in Afghanistan, if somehow America, in the midst of this war, when the Ukrainians have done so much more than what any of us, frankly, expected, where they have basically reduced our primary adversary from the 20th century, the Soviet Union slash Russia, and debilitated their whole military establishment, if we would walk away from that now, why would anybody in the world, not just in Europe, but anywhere across the world, ever trust the United States again? With that said, Senator, I want to ask you on the eve of and by the, the United just Nations one other, gathering. Just one last, I'm sorry, Joe, just one last thing, though. And the, the remarkable thing, because I do want to make clear, the vast majority 
of the Republicans in the Senate, and I believe the vast majority of the Republicans in the House support continued assistance to Ukraine. So this is not mm -hmm. simply a Democrat-Republican issue. This is that, again, far-right group that I sometimes question, you know, who are they really for long-term in terms of America's role in the world? As we prepare for the NATO conference, Senator, and I appreciate your finishing your thought there, what does it tell us about the relevance of the UN based on we, the, the way we've seen it handle Russia and the Security Council, the fact that it could not stop Russia from invading Ukraine, couldn't stop North Korea's nuclear program, and it's turned some smaller countries to smaller organizations uh, that might be seen as alternatives to the UN. Speak to the relevance of this organization as we prepare to meet. The UN that emerged after the de destruction and devastation of World War II is clearly not the UN of today. I still think it is the single world body that brings, what, I think about 190 plus countries who participate in the UN. Is it perfect? No. Are there times where I think uh, we disproportionately pay a higher share of the costs and, and sometimes you know, the larger countries are singled out? But I think it's important that we maintain a forum where countries large and small can come together. Do I wish they were more effective? Absolutely. Uh, but the idea that, again, that the best route would be to simply turn away from an international organization, I think is not the right route as well. So, Senator, that's what one organization with many different members can accomplish. Let's talk about something that one individual member of the Senate has accomplished and continues to do so. Senator Tommy Tuberville and his blockade of military promotions and now nominations. We could be looking at a very likely scenario in which there is no chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Is it time for Democrats to take it to the floor, do it one by one, at least get those no, highest I level people in there? You know, um, my great friend and colleague Tim Kaine today, and I got this secondhand, um, but somebody was trying to make that case, let's go one by one. And Tim Kaine said to the Armed Services Committee, you know, he remembered his friend John McCain. John McCain, when he was captured by the North Vietnamese, was basically because he had, his father was an admiral, he had all these connections. The North Vietnamese offered John McCain a, a way out of the so-called Hanoi Hilton to let him go first in terms of returning prisoners. He said no way. He was not going to leave until all of the prisoners that were able to leave at the same time. The notion that we were going to somehow select which member of our military leadership that have earned these promotions on choosing one over the other goes against the whole sense of the military being a team organization, goes against the hundreds of years of tradition of how we treat these nominations. It is generally 99.9% uh, .9 of the time a pro forma process. Um, mm -hmm. You've had some of the Republicans start to speak out. You've got House Republicans, even Chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, speak out against uh, uh, Senator Tuberville's actions, which are frankly illegitimate. Um, I, I think you know, the, 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 the Ronald Reagan has to be rolling over in his grave. Ronald Reagan, who, who prided himself on standing up for our military, when these kind of political antics are making our military less strong and our country less weak, by playing politics on this issue, uh, I think 
I hope and pray that, that, that my Republican colleagues, a lot of them who've expressed concerns to me privately, that they will put the kind of pressure on, on Tuberville. Or frankly, uh, we ought to maybe change the rules. But I don't think, again, there will be the two-thirds votes that change the rules. Because, again, if this you gets talk to him. rationalized, if this gets rationalized and legitimized, it will be used by both yeah. teams. We've seen that time and again. You talk to him very often, Senator. I ask you that because we're going to talk to him later on today on Bloomberg TV. Yeah. He's going to join us at 5 o'clock. What, what would you ask I, him? I don't, I don't have a heck of a lot of interaction uh, with Senator Tuberville. But I would go back to how is what he's do doing any different than what happened to John McCain when he was in um, the Vietnamese prison and got offered a chance to get out ahead of the rest of the prisoners. The notion that I think Senator Tuberville has suggested, well, let's just selectively choose which members of the military leadership ought to get the benefits of the promotions they've earned. I don't ever think John, I, mean, I, I just, I mean, I believe with all my heart, if John McCain was here, he would call out this kind of antics in a way that would be a, a extraordinarily powerful. Senator, as there is that ongoing issue in regard to what Senator Tuberville is doing, he, I would imagine, along with you and all other 98 of your Senate colleagues, are going to be in a closed-door meeting tomorrow with a number of individuals, including several big tech CEOs like Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk, to talk about AI. It's closed-door. It's not a public open hearing, which some of your colleagues, like Senator Elizabeth Warren, would prefer. What are you hoping to learn? And, and do you agree with the way that this forum is being conducted, that it is closed-door? Listen, I think you know, this is one of the first times uh, that you're going to have both the tech advocates and civil society in the same room. You know, I've hosted a half dozen of these sessions, all bipartisan. Um, you know, there will be, I'm sure there will be lots of reporting uh, out of what happens um, tomorrow. And I got to tell you, my background was in technology. I can't think of an issue uh, in the last few years that I've spent more time on and am less certain today uh, about what our actions ought to be. Um, you know, the basic economics around uh, AI, you know, a long, long time ago, 10 months ago, was whoever had the most data, the most GPUs, the most ability in cash and ability to train that data might win. Now, after Facebook has let their llama model out on the, in, in the open, and you've seen countries like the UAE for pennies on the dollar, create a large language model. Um, this is a extraordinarily complicated issue. I do think one of the things, and the good news is it's all bipartisan so far, is that there is a real sense that what we, we cannot do is simply what we did with social media, which was basically to say to the tech community, you guys go figure this out, and we'll try to come in and put rules in after the fact. We have batted zero on any guardrails at all around social media. Uh, I would hate to see with the power that AI has, which would dwarf social media, not to put some guardrails. Where I'm looking, and, I, you know, and I've, I'm still working through this, but I'd, I'd love to hear the Bloomberg audience's reaction, um, because the two areas that I am most immediately concerned on in terms of these AI tools that have already been released is one, yeah. um, you know, the only reason our elections work in America is because there's public trust in the elections. And there are lots of AI tools, deep fakes, other things, uh, disinformation on steroids that could undermine the trust in our elections. The other institution 
that relies entirely on the public trust is what you guys report on all the time, the public markets. And the ability, we've seen some deep fake in terms of a false image of the Pentagon burning that had an effect on the market. Yeah. I'm amazed we've not seen more manipulation with deep fakes, with AI tools, suggesting you know, product malfunctions that may not exist. But I think this yep. notion of preserving the integrity of our public elections and public markets, there might be a mm. kind of a strange collaboration between capitalists and huh. advocates of small D Democrats uh, that would at least say on those two we can arenas do this, that Senator. are so reliant on the public's faith, we ought to at least put, put Thanks for your time, because Senator, as always. Mark Warner, this is Bloomberg. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. With no shortage of issues to talk about this day, the U.S. House returns to Washington. We heard earlier from Speaker McCarthy, and uh, an impeachment inquiry is being launched now into Joe Biden, which kind of changes the dynamic, Kaylee, lines of the conversation we were having about government shutdown and mm -hmm. a lot of the other issues that are facing lawmakers right now, though they could be intertwined in a way because some members of the Freedom Caucus were demanding, well, even Marjorie Taylor Greene, no longer in that group, demanding yeah. an impeachment for them to sign off on a continuing resolution to keep the government open. It looks like that's happening. So many different pieces of the puzzle. But yes, Speaker McCarthy today is saying this should go ahead. Now, eventually it's going to come down to a matter of whether or not there's sufficient evidence, right? But this is the inquiry process. And at least in part, you certainly would think it was intended to placate certain members of his party that he needs to be able to bring in line to mm -hmm. get a continuing resolution passed or get spending bills passed and avoid the government shutting down. He says he has a plan, and impeachment maybe plays a role in that. To avoid a shutdown. Yeah. Yeah, it's something else. I know, we thought maybe it would be floated at a meeting on Wednesday. He came out with it, full-throated announcement First at 11 o'clock at the podium. First day back. Welcome back to reality, everybody. Uh, just an opportunity to start here. Uh, with our next guest. Asa Hutchinson is back, Republican presidential candidate, of course, former governor of Arkansas. It's great to see you, Governor. Thank you for coming back to talk to us. Uh, you're in a race to run against Joe Biden to be the next president of the United States. Does this muddy the waters? Does this help the Republican cause to launch an impeachment inquiry without a vote? Well, it all depends on where it goes and uh, what the foundation and the facts are. But, uh, you know, in the history of uh, impeachments has not uh, gone well mm. uh, in terms of the Senate uh, having any interest in it, uh, of convicting a president. And here, our focus is the election. Uh, you know, Joe Biden is wrong on his policies, energy policy, his decisions is hurting America and our growth, his spending policy, uh, the Bidenomics. I mean, these are the issues that I get asked about. Nobody's come up to me and talking about the Trump legal cases. Nobody's mm -hmm. coming up to me. And, uh, you know, a few of them do talk about, uh, from the Republican standpoint, the 
uh, Biden's and uh, and Hunter's and his uh, legal difficulties. Right. But we got to get to the facts in the long term. Let's see where those facts take us. So when we're thinking about the pursuing of yet another impeachment against the U.S. president, potentially a precedent being set here, given former President Trump in the prior administration was also impeached on multiple occasions, then the prospect of the government shutting down broadly for the Republican Party. What does this signal about, about its health and its ability going into 2024 to message the right things to the American people? Well, it's a challenging and unpredictable political environment. You overlay what you just said with uh, four indictments against uh, former President Trump. Mm -hmm. And Kevin McCarthy's in a difficult position, as everyone knows, and so you give him a little latitude. He's trying to avoid a shutdown. He's trying to get uh, the appropriation bills, the budget bills through. Now, you know, impeachment is not something that constitutionally should be bargained with, Mm -hmm. and I believe you ought to get the facts. I don't like labeling it as an impeachment inquiry. It would be a factual inquiry. Uh, the public needs to have confidence that the uh, former Vice President Biden and President Biden was not receiving benefit from foreign governments. Mm-hmm. That's something that ought to be cleared up. And President Biden has been somewhat mum on that topic, so he's not clearing it up. Uh, and so the facts ought to be out there, but it ought to be a preliminary inquiry Uh, impeachment's not something that ought to be used uh, in the normal course of affairs in Congress. Do you support the probe or the inquiry as a matter of principle? I do. I do. We don't want to spend the whole interview with you on this, by the way. We like (laughs) to talk policy at Bloomberg. Let's dare to dream about policy for a moment, (laughs) Governor, because I think someone like yourself just indicated you'd like to make this race about the economy. And uh, we talk about this all day long around here as we prepare for what could be another Federal Reserve interest rate hike the next meeting this week, the market doesn't seem to know what to do about that. I, don't, I wonder your thoughts on the Fed and whether you would keep Jay Powell on the job as chairman. Well, of course, he has a term, but I would like to see a new leader into the Fed. Yep. And if I can do that as president, and I can, uh, I would want to do that. You'd fire uh, him. I would fire him. And the reason is that uh, he has uh, raised interest rates uh, at the wrong time. Uh, I think it's been. Uh, more aggressive than what needed to be. He probably started too late on it. Mm. And it's really hurting our families. And I think you also uh, could had forestall and been clear that we're going to stop doing these rate increases. I think that would be uh, the right signal uh, for American businesses and our families that are worrying about their credit card debt, new families trying to get into a new home. And you know, you, I talked yesterday in Savannah, Georgia, to a young mom who I said, what's the big issue to you? And she says, I just want to raise my kids in a safe environment mm-hmm. and uh, where we can afford uh, to buy milk at the store. And uh, that's what's on the American's mind. And so it starts with controlling spending. You have to worry about the supply chain. The UAW strike that's threatened, that's mm-hmm. coming up, is not going to be helping the economic situation. And so as president, uh, I would call in the Fed. Uh, I would uh, believe that the president can communicate and express his opinion as to what should be done, just like we do in a whole host of other issues. So in terms of what the Fed should be doing, do you think the dual mandate should still be a dual mandate, that they have to equally weigh full employment in the U.S. economy and inflation, or should one take greater focus? Well, I think that uh, inflation should be you know, the controlling factor for them, Uh, The unemployment, that's what uh, the President of the United States worries about. That's what Congress worries about. 
And as governor, uh, I looked at that uh, unemployment rate uh, every week, uh, every month that it was released, and we acted on it, and we created jobs, 100,000 jobs while I was governor. And so, no, I believe that that should be in the decision-making process of the Federal Reserve. Control inflation, watch the monetary supply that's out there, uh, and, and that should be the focus. You mentioned the UAW. We could be looking at a massive auto strike in just two days. I wonder how you would handle this if you were the president. If you would get involved, this White House so far has not. The union has not indicated that it would like any help with mediation. But this is an emboldened time for organized labor. After the deal we saw with UPS, now a request for a 46% wage increase of 32-hour work week. Should the president of the United States have a say in this? The president has to always worry about uh, the economy, uh, about uh, the broader national security and mm -hmm. production capability. And so, but it, but it also should be reserved until absolutely necessary. Uh, these are negotiations between a union and the employer, and uh, they need to try to resolve it. Uh, the federal labor relations law makes it clear that if they can't resolve that, you've got choices. Mm. Uh, employees, the unions can strike, and uh, employers can replace. Mm. And that's the tension, that's the balance that we've had. But if it gets to some a particular point in time where the president can be useful in resolving that conflict, he ought to insert himself. But the time is not right for that, and that should be reserved. So we are looking at a deadline in two days for that contract expiring. You, though, sir, are looking at a different kind of deadline a few weeks out. The second primary debate, September 27th. You need 3% in the polls to get there, I believe. To this point, you have not yet qualified. If you don't do so, would you follow the lead of, say, Francis Suarez and leave the race? Well, I'm not going to set uh, you know, timelines and specific criteria for it. But uh, whenever you look at the polls, uh, there's two criteria for being on the debate. One is 3% of the polls. We have made one poll nationally at 3%, and so we need one more or some early state polls. And so we're optimistic that we're going to get there. And then secondly, our donor base, and we're, uh, we're going to make that. And so I'm, I plan on being at that debate. Uh, nothing would mean more to me than to be at the Reagan Library as somebody who was appointed by Ronald Reagan as the youngest U.S. attorney in the nation uh, years ago. And so I expect to be there. Uh, we got a little work to do to get there. And so if, uh, if anybody calls you in a poll, uh, please answer Asa <laughs> Hutchinson. There you have it. Governor, it's nice of you to stop by and see us again in Washington, D.C. Whether you make that stage or not, let's stay in touch. Asa Hutchinson, the former governor of Arkansas, of course, Republican presidential candidate, with us here, a conversation you will only hear on Bloomberg Radio. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Mick Mulvaney said on this program, the co-founder of the Freedom Caucus, who of course went on to be Donald Trump's chief of staff, said on this program, 
that Speaker McCarthy may be in more danger of losing his job now than he has been yet. I think Kevin's probably at his highest level of risk here right now. Um, but that's the right place to have it because, again, a shutdown is not that big a deal. And I think Kevin might have to go through at least a little bit of a shutdown if for no other reason to establish some bona fides with the conservative wing of the party. And that, of course, is when everybody was talking about a shutdown. That was Monday. Fast forward 24 hours. Speaker McCarthy, for the first time in seven weeks, at the podium in front of reporters. Now, I would encourage the president and his team to fully cooperate with this investigation in the interests of transparency. We are committed to getting the answers for the American public. Nothing more, nothing less. We will go wherever the evidence takes us. And we'll find out where the evidence takes us here. Because so far, it sounds like the allegations have everything to do with Hunter Biden, the so-called Biden family. But we are still waiting for a sense of how they connect the dots to Joe Biden beyond his being on the his being on the phone. Remember, Republican members of the Oversight Committee said that, yeah, he's on the speaker phone with some of Hunter Biden's people here, but there was, there was no business transaction, not even a business conversation. So we want to follow the bead, and we assembled our panel. Rick Davis, I'm glad to say, is here, Bloomberg Politics contributor and Republican strategist, joined today by Alvin Jordan, a Democratic analyst, vice president at Rock Solutions. Great to have you both here, gentlemen. Rick, your thoughts on this? Knowing that Speaker McCarthy criticized Nancy Pelosi for launching an impeachment inquiry into Donald Trump without a vote, what's the purpose of this today? What's the motivation? Yeah, look, I mean, he's walking a tightrope of a number of really tough jams that he's got in the House. I mean, this impeachment uh, inquiry uh, announcement today is uh, a way of letting some of the air out of the conservative side of his party who's angry with him that he hasn't acted more harshly on the spending cuts that they want, uh, even though it violates the deal he cut with Biden earlier in the year on spending. And on top of that, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's got the government shut down because they haven't done the work that he claimed he was going to do as speaker when he first got elected that, you know, through regular order, he would pass, you know, all 12 appropriations bills. And I think last count, they had one done. Uh, so yeah. uh, he's stuck in the middle of this. And then you pile on top of that, Ukraine funding and the special supplemental for um, emergency disaster spending. And and he doesn't he, he can't count votes. He doesn't have enough people to to really pass this agenda that is pressing and due by the end of the month. So uh, this was his way of, I think, letting some air out of the tire. It violated his own rule, which is, as you pointed out, Joe, uh, I'm going to take a vote on any impeachment. Uh, proceedings. And, you know, he basically fell back on the Pelosi model, which had been highly criticized by him and other leadership, including the Freedom Caucus people. So, um, yeah, I agree with Mick Mulvaney and your 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 point with him uh, yesterday is that he's walking a tightrope. And and when you have people like Matt Gatz who just put out a statement right after the announcement by right. the speaker that it wasn't enough and he's got to do more on spending. I mean, his, his worst nightmare is his own party. Matt Gates, of course, uh, the thorn in Kevin McCarthy's side, the congressman from Florida, uh, calls the move to open an impeachment probe into President Biden a baby step, says the speaker is not delivered on promises regarding spending and subpoenas and is not putting the party in a position to succeed. So this is not making everybody happy. Uh, Alvin, the response from Democrats, I'm going to let John Fetterman do this. Of course, the senator, uh, Democratic senator from Pennsylvania, who they hit him up in the hallway in the Capitol just moments after 
this was announced by the speaker. Just give this a listen. I'm asking about this news that uh, Speaker McCarthy has formally launched an impeachment inquiry. Has said he's going to. Oh my God! Really? Oh my gosh! You know? Oh, it's devastating. <laughs> Ooh! Don't do it! Please don't do it! Oh no! Oh no! He's he's pretending to cower. No, 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 not an impeachment. Is there some truth to that? How do Democrats handle this? Do you just laugh it off? I think that's exactly what you you do in this case if you're you're the Democrats. Uh, there's no surprise here uh, to anyone. I think maybe the timing of it is, is a bit uh, you know unique in that way, but I, I think it's very clear that we're looking at a bit of a political calculus, if you will. Um, I think this is totally uh, about political strategy and, and less about actual con- conviction. It's it's very clear, uh, you play, you know, the Matt Gaetz clip, it's very clear that, you know, this is truly setting the stage uh, for a, a bargaining chip. Um, you know, we've, we've mentioned at length that, you know, funding and the government uh, funding deadline is coming up at the end of the month. And so, um, more than anything, uh, I think that this is definitely a, a bargaining chip for any type of additional government funding, uh, you know, kind of political back and forth that will happen and less of a, a serious, you know, kind of push to, to unearth any new information. So, OK, that said, Rick, did this make a government shutdown less likely? It, this is a weird world we're living in, but. This idea has been suggested more than once. You make some members of the Freedom Caucus happy with impeachment, they'll let you get a continuing resolution. Well, it certainly is in his interest, the Speaker McCarthy's interest, not to have a government shutdown, right? He, he's got work to do. He wants to cut a deal to get um, a continuing resolution. He's already said that very clearly. Uh, the only question, I think, coming out of the Speaker's office is how long would that continuing resolution last? in order for them to get the rest of the appropriations bills done and get into a conference with the the, the Senate. Senate's not giving them any lifeline, right? They're sitting back going, we've done our work. You need to get yours done. Um, A lot of conservative Republicans are unhappy in the Senate with the uh, lack of progress that they've made, even after all the promises they they gave to uh, their constituents that um, you know this would be a different kind of Republican organization in the House. So, uh, yeah, he 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 doesn't want to see a government shutdown. It just makes it another vote that he has to uh, contest in a in amongst all the rest of these that are causing him uh, heartburn right now. Meanwhile, in the Senate, the gentleman from Alabama changes his tune slightly on the blockade against military promotions. This is Coach Tommy Tuberville of course, is protesting the abortion travel policy at the Pentagon. He's now blocking more than 300 military promotions. We're talking about this on an almost daily basis and took to the floor of the Senate last night, late yesterday, to respond to his critics. A new wrinkle on why this blockade should last. Senator Reid said it was disrespectful not to approve them by unanimous consent. I do not agree with that. Many of these nominees are worthy of confirmation. I will agree. And I will vote for them. But some are not. Some are not, he says, Alvin. He's had time to look into some of these nominees and says they should not be confirmed because they support DEI policies. Where's this going? I think it's going exactly the way of, you know, the, the, the country's kind of tone in response to this, which is, like, what are we really saying? You know, what are we really talking about? Because it, it, it isn't bearing fruit. Um, I think we've seen this with, 
Governor DeSantis as he's kind of stepped away and, and, and at least softened publicly uh, kind of his approach and attack to these types of things. Um, and so I think that, uh, you know, Tuberville is, is one where he is definitely, you know, no stranger to the, the antics. And so I think this is just kind of muddy in the waters. Um, I think earlier someone used the term performative. And that is uh, yeah. essentially where I come back to when I think of, um, you know, quite frankly, anything Tuberville related. But in this instance, I think it's more so trying to, you know, shine a light and kind of give a, you know, a performative kind of edge to himself mm -hmm. um, as opposed to to driving anything of, of, of substance, to be honest. Rick, is the senator here showing us anything, giving us a sign by picking through individual nominees now? Does this look like something that goes on forever or, or he might be looking for an exit? ramp at this point? I don't know. I mean, um, you could make in the argument, I guess, you know, along that line, Joe, that uh, he finds a couple of guys that uh, he votes against uh, because of their uh, diversity and inclusion points of view, uh, which is also policy at the Pentagon, in addition to the abortion policy that he is opposed. Uh, but it doesn't change the policy. And um, uh, giving a couple of scalps to uh, Coach Tuberville doesn't make sense uh, if you're the Democratic leadership. Uh, I think they feel like they've got him right where they want him uh, and let him stew. Uh, it doesn't do much for our national security, but the politics are pretty clear that um, uh, the only people that, that Coach Tuberville's been really uh, uh, getting on his side are the uh, uh, adamant anti-abortion groups that uh, support his yeah. abortion stance. But going woke seems to me weakens his position, doesn't strengthen it. Fascinating stuff here. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. It's a big deal with Apple today. About it. We're watching the stock. We've got new iPhones. We're yep. obsessing over the colors and all of that. I, I went back to the original launch of the iPhone to get a sense of sort of the drama that was in the air because we make a big deal about this now. Yes, we Steve do. Steve Jobs, 9th of January, 2007. Every once in a while, a revolutionary product comes along that changes everything. And Apple has been. Well, first of all, one's very fortunate if you get to work on just one of these in your career. Just one. Apple's been very fortunate. It's been able to introduce a few of these into the world. And today, number 15. Yep. There was, I read the story here about this dynamic island, the dynamic island alerts interface. I'm realizing as I talk to you, I have that on my phone and I don't even know what it is. What is it? It's th at the top. Yeah? By where your I'm selfie looking. camera is. And it used to just not do anything. And they said, hey, we should make that do something. And so cool. you can look at music you're playing or really? your Uber driver approaching how many minutes away. It just kind of does things Are you now. putting me on? I'm looking at my phone and I don't see any of that. Okay. We'll work on that in okay, the commercial thank break. You. My thing is, these phones are getting more and more expensive, Joe. That they highest end model. Yes. The 15 Pro Max is now going to begin at $1,199. Wow. 
that's up $100 from last year's version. So if you want an upgrade, you're going to have to pay up for it. And frankly, I don't know if I'll upgrade because I want my purple yeah. phone and it doesn't look like that's I was going to say, that, do they have your color? No, Why are they changing so. the colors? Uh, I still thought they Tim made Hope rose gold. This. They don't do that anymore either. <laughs> I've only ever had a black iPhone, I think. I'm really, I, I need to catch up a lot. <laughs> it's the iPhone 15 and it does things that I don't know how to do. Will it improve our lives somehow? I guess it will. I don't there's a camera upgrade. There's an app for that. Oh, there's a camera upgrade. Okay. Thanks for listening to the Sound On Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.